me, the answer does not lie in the children. That is the opposite of the answer. That I think kids have an innate ability to just go out and play and have fun when they're left alone. We have to look at the parents. We have to look at their egos. We have to look at what they're in it for and really dissect why parents feel a need to put that type of pressure on their children at that age when they know that the pressure of life will eventually become so great. You know, like I said, the expectations will become higher as the time grows. But really, I just, I would implore parents to allow their children to play whatever they wish to play. You know, like if they wish to do gymnastics or soccer or even art or music, just be supportive. And that support and the dedication that you show to your children goes so much further than pressuring them to do something that you wish you could do or you wish that you had done when you were younger. These opportunities that you missed in your life and stuff. And really, it's just about the ego of the parents and allowing that to subside. And realizing that the bigger picture is so much greater than a local little ball or a little league team winning a trophy or something like that. It's just, it's really troublesome to me because sometimes it seems very obvious what the answer is. But at the same time, you realize that the opinion of the masses is kind of so skewed in the opposite direction. There's actually pressure on the parents to feel like they are doing everything that they can for their children. I think a lot of that stems from that as well. And the fact that they maybe feel like they need to give their children the best opportunity and that consumes them and at a time in their children's life where all they need is, is support and love and direction as opposed to any pressure. This is the SE Podcast, the podcast where sports and entrepreneurship collide. This is a classic episode. It's a conversation I had with Seattle Mariners catcher, Tom Murphy from 2019, but all of it applies to today. He talks about being traded, work ethic, showing up ready to play ball, youth sports, and the talent in the MLB. In an effort to amplify great people, we bring you this episode with Major League Ball player Tom Murphy. In case you haven't noticed, we love podcasts. In fact, yeah, you should have one. We'll even build it for you. A podcast that is simply email me at eric at sportse.io. We'll get your podcast published fast. You go from being a Rocky to a giant. So from Denver, Colorado, San Francisco, and now you're in Seattle. A lot of people think about sports and they think about all the accolades and all the great stuff that comes with it, but they don't think about how the impact this has on players, individuals, and most of all, families. What was this like for you and your family as you go from three different cities on the West Coast, being from middle of New York? Yeah, it was an interesting experience and kind of my first time going through anything like that in my career. At, towards the end of spring training, the Rockies told me that they uh, were planning on waiving me, which meant that I was going through a 72-hour process of just kind of being in limbo, waiting for hopefully an opportunity with a new team. At the end of that 72 hours, I was contacted by the Giants almost immediately and said, that, hey, we're going to pick you up. Can you get on a plane here in about two, two and a half hours? <laughs> so. <laughs> I was in Scottsdale at the time, and fortunately, my family was with me during spring training. So I have a wife and two kids. They were down here and kind of playing the game with me and supported me along the way. So I literally was at the at the Rockies complex, just kind of getting in a day of training in my home, and got that call and, and realized that I needed to get going. So I, I had my wife pack my bags for me while I was at the field packing things up, and ran home and, and got on a plane right to San Francisco. And I spent two days there during the exhibition series with the A's. And then at the end of the two days, they were making the final roster cuts for the regular season. And, uh, you know, Bochy and Zadie called me into the office right at the end of the game and told me they were, they were going to send me through uh, 
and they were going to DFA me. So it was a little bit different process. Basically, DFA meant that they had five days to work out a trade, and then that didn't happen. I would go through the waiver process again. So they actually flew me back to the Scottsdale that next day. I kind of spent the day in Scottsdale, and then that night, after getting back in, I got a call from the Mariners saying that I was going to be traded to them and that you know I was going to get an opportunity to play with them. So you know, in the course of four or five days, I went from Scottsdale to San Francisco, back to Scottsdale, then all the way up to Seattle playing the Red Sox the, the next day. Wow. Did you have a place in Colorado, anywhere in Denver at all, or Albuquerque? I know you had gone back and forth between those two places the year prior. No, we've always rented wherever we live during the season, just because we own a house back in my hometown. So, okay, we can't really be afford to settle down anywhere, but we can find a place to rent and live for the six months of the season. What's it like? I mean, this is like, it's insane because like you just said, there's all these different ways of going about or a team acquires you or waves you and then you get picked up. And then like the Mariners are actually the one that call you up to say, hey, you're part of the Mariners organization now. It's not the Giants letting you know that you've been dealt. But you're going home and you're kind of having conversations like where could we end up next? Uh, talking possibly to your agent. I mean, did you have any idea or is it really just like that call out of the blue? Yeah, you know, basically what happens at that point the agent and I kind of get together and realize what teams are in need more so than anything. So you, know, you can kind of narrow it down between five to 10 teams, say, that could possibly need a young catcher that uh, doesn't have any experience with their staff that they're willing to give a shot with. So we kind of had a realistic view of, of some of the teams that may have an opportunity that picked me up in that process. And, you know, the Mariners were one of those teams, thankfully. So you kind of have an idea and you hope, but there's nothing concrete for sure. Yeah, there's no guarantees. And your wife all along is, like you said, she helped you pack your bag, sent you on your way. She's dealing with the kids as you're off to San Francisco, playing a couple days and then coming back. So she's having to deal with this too. It's a lot on the family, but I would imagine the life of a ball player and the family of a ball player is understanding of the dynamics that are in play with this. And you've kind of agreed, like, this is the life you have for now. And this is, you know, in many ways, it's probably rather exciting to be going to all these new places, but at the same time, very stressful before you end up in a place. Is that how she sees it? Yeah, luckily, I mean, she is a very go-with-flow type person. And without her attitude and support along this, I mean, it would be so much more stressful on me because I can tell you it's easy getting on a plane and flying to your next city, but it's hard packing up your life and getting a new haul and driving to the next spot with two kids and trying to do all that on your own. And, you know, she deserves a, a ton of credit because that's, that's not easy on anyone. And, you know, like I said, without her kind of taking the wheel and taking that responsibility upon herself, it would not be very enjoyable or, you know, stressless process for me. She does a fantastic job of taking that away from my life and kind of putting it upon herself and doing that. And like I said, it's just like, it couldn't help me anymore in my career and and help me just kind of focus on baseball at the time. Yeah, no, that's awesome. I mean, we talk about an entrepreneurship and just, you know, running a business or, or an athlete. I mean, there's a lot of parallels because there's, you know, a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes that no one sees. And one of those things could be the spouse, a significant other, someone close to you. 
that is helping push you along, be that positive influence, you know, call you out when you need to get called out, help you wake up when you need to get woken up at, whatever that means, right? But it's awesome to have people like that in your life, no doubt. And obviously she's been a rock for you and going through all this. So you end up in Seattle. I've been reading some articles and hearing some stories about how you come in. Like you said, you're trying to figure out who the pitching staff is because you're playing catcher. So you need to understand all the different pitchers that are going to come in and and watch their tape, get to know them, get to know their tendencies, what they like, what they don't like. But you hadn't had all spring training with them, which becomes a problem. How are you able to come in? Because it sounds to me like you have an incredible work ethic and you show up and they're just blown away by, wow, this Tom's really getting after it out there. He's practicing, he's spending more time, he's watching the film. Is it work ethic? What is it that allows you to show up and become a contributor day one for an organization as a catcher? because of all the different things I just said before. Yeah, I think you can point to work ethic, but I think it's something that comes before that. And that's really just kind of the, I don't want to say fear, but it's almost a fear of not performing up to my standard. So that kind of drives me in a way that makes me realize how much work it takes to succeed at this level and to be who I believe I can be out on the field. And in doing that, like you're talking about with catching, there's a responsibility on my end offensively but there's a much greater responsibility defensively. And that is knowing my pitchers, knowing what they do, getting to know them both professionally and personally off the field so that our connection is much stronger when we're out on the field. And the only way to do that is through repetition. So anytime those guys are touching or throwing a baseball, I am trying to be with them. And that's going to continue throughout the season because things change as everybody knows the sports, uh, how you're feeling day to day. Uh, how you're feeling month to month, what you're trying to do to certain hitters, what you're trying to do to certain teams. So that knowledge and that relationship with my pitchers is foremost in my career for sure. So I don't want to take any sort of secondary route, you know, just kind of sitting back or being passive in my career. I, I want to take it you know, head on. And that is, like I said, getting with those pitchers any opportunity I can. And also watching film, you know, whenever I can and, and taking as much information about them as possible and using it to my advantage. Yeah, so you get to Seattle, you do all of this, and clearly it it makes a difference, it makes an impact. But it sounds to me, though, like you just moved past it, right? So you had the situation in the preseason, you get to where you are, and you're just the move forward guy. There's no sense in looking back as to where you were last year, where you were the year before, except for drawing on any experiences you have and not feeling sorry for yourself and actually being happy and grateful probably for you are an incredible organization, incredible city, right? And now you're here with the Mariners and you have to just kind of take that and move forward. So spending the time, it, it kind of gets you off of thinking negatively about anything else. But the combination of that and then the season starts and here we are a few weeks into the season and you're having a great start to the season. I mean, just yesterday alone, I know you guys lost to the Angels, but you personally had a good day at bat, you know, especially in the ninth inning, saw you had a, I believe, a two-run home run or two for four on the day, batting 429, I believe, on the season with all the stuff that went on before. And there's a lot of talk about the mental side of sports. Obviously, baseball is one of those, one of the biggest sports. I mean, you can get up to the plate and be like, I have no idea what I'm doing anymore. It's a lot like golf. It's like every time I swing, I feel like I'm going to miss, right? So how are you able to overcome that? Have you been practicing, you know, getting your mind right for a season? Because you just like you just said, there are no guarantees with any of this stuff. You could be on a different team again tomorrow. You just don't know. But having to put that aside and having a strong, callous mind to then move forward. I mean, how have you been able to start the season so strongly 
as an individual player? Yeah, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head with the, the mental side of all this. On the outside, it may seem like it's all glam, but you know there is times throughout this whole process where you get down upon yourself and realize that this maybe is the end of your career. And, you know, maybe you're not going to play in the big leagues this year. So it takes a lot of overcoming and a lot of uh, you know unyielding type of attitude. But that also comes from my support system too, between my wife and parents and everybody else that, that truly believes in what I can do. And, and really the Mariners as well. They, you know, they were very upfront with their feelings about me and, and how they wanted me to come in and, and just be myself. But really it was kind of having that mental ability to overcome what's in the past is in the past. And, and that's as hard as it gets in this game because you know, these 162 games are, are relentless. They're day after day. And if you kind of dwell on what's already happened or, you know, failed opportunities or missed opportunities, that's just something that can eat you alive. It's something I've really worked hard at in the past year and a half, just trying to, like you said, callous my mind, let it overcome any obstacles that may stand in my way, be progressive and forward moving and playing to a standard that I know that I can play up to. And obviously the physical results are always great, but they're often stem from a, a mental side that is much greater. Does this all come from, I mean, obviously you, like we talked about before, you go through these different experiences and you get stronger and you get better at these things and you deal with stuff and it's a roller coaster ride. It's up and down and all this stuff. But like, does this go way back to when you're a kid up in upstate New York and, and you mentioned your parents, obviously talk about your wife, but going even further back than that. I mean, does this go back to those times? And is there a certain thing that you can draw on from watching or experiencing as a kid that got to this point? Because I hear a a young baseball player who's got an incredible mind and work ethic for the sport. And you don't hear it all the time. And it's impressive and it's exciting to watch that. And I think just it doesn't matter if you play baseball or a different sport or don't play sports at all or just in business that people just deal with stuff. And and how do you overcome it? You know, you have no control over certain aspects of, of your job or whatever's going to happen next. So where do you go back with this that perhaps that was the beginning point of moving ahead and being the guy that you are now? Yeah, I think you can stem that all the way back to my parents, you know, how I was raised. My dad, when I was first born, worked at worked as an auto repairman for the Midas company. And, you know, he had some things happen in his life that made him realize that there was maybe something bigger and greater out there for him. So he took the leap of faith and started his own his own business as an auto repairman and opened his own shop. Kind of sacrificed everything in his life up to that point to put everything in that one pot. And watching him work as hard as he did to do what he accomplished and, and my mother as well, sacrificing you know, everything they had at that point to, to put it all into the shop and then just watching him and work relentlessly to achieve all of his goals. Even to today, 20 plus years of owning the business, he doesn't stop. Both my parents don't. And they continue to be more and more successful in their business and their personal lives. And yeah, you know, I don't think there's any doubt in my mind that that's exactly where you know, the relentlessness and the, the mental toughness kind of comes from. And the, the willing to put in the work, you know, like I said, and my parents are the prime examples of that. And there's no doubt in my mind that that's where it comes from. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And, and typically we see that, you know, when we talk about whether it's an athlete or an entrepreneur, that there's something in their past and it's different for everybody. A lot of times it is their family, their parents, and they were running a business, they were working hard and had this pursuit mindset that existed for them as well. And that's what you have going on. So it must have been exciting for you or for your family that when you were in, I believe, West Monroe, like north of Syracuse, that you end up at the University of Buffalo to play college baseball. I would imagine they'd gotten some opportunities to see you play when you were in Buffalo. 
and take me back to that time in your life because you had a great career at Buffalo, Mac Player of the Year in 2011, record holder for many different statistics and just had a great run and became a third round draft pick in the Major League Baseball draft. But taking back to your time of playing for University of Buffalo Bulls and having your family, I guess, probably three hours away, right? Yeah, we were about three and a half hours away. Okay. So when you decided, like when you're in high school and you're making that decision to go, what drew you to Buffalo? Yeah, so I think the biggest draw to Buffalo was the opportunity to play right away as a freshman. You know, I kind of saw an opportunity at the Division One level to kind of come in and get my feet wet right away and play 30-plus games my first year, which, you know, looking at some of the other opportunities I had, there was no guarantees. And even some were to borderline, like, you won't be playing until sophomore year. And at the time, coming from the small town, small area that I did come from, the major leagues weren't exactly on my mind. I know I wanted to be a really good baseball player, but I was also pretty present at that point in the fact that I knew I wanted to be a good baseball player at the collegiate level. So my mind was wrapped around getting in and playing right away, seizing whatever opportunity I could at the university that would allow me to do that. And Buffalo fit that mold exactly. So some people always ask if I had opportunities to go to kind of bigger universities. And there were some opportunities. It wasn't anything crazy. But I always saw Buffalo as the opportunity for myself to go out and play. That was all that was on my mind at that time. Yeah. No, it makes sense. And you had, like I said before, you had success in 2011. Have a great year. Become player of the year. Is there a point in time at that? Because you're thinking, oh, I want to be a really good baseball player. Well, now clearly you've made that, right? You've reached that level of you are really good. Do, do people start taking notice? Do you start hearing things to say, because what is it, three years, right? Once you've gone to college, you can go pro in three years. Did you start hearing rumblings, hearing things, talking to people to say, hey, we might want to take a look at you? How does that work? Yeah, so the process for me to becoming a draft-eligible baseball player, I would say took probably about two full years for people to notice. Coming into my freshman year, I had some good physical tools, size and stuff, but it was still very raw in terms of mechanics, both offensively and defensively. But you know, our freshman class was full of players that was built exactly like me, very hardworking, very dedicated to the craft. And we, we just took off with the university and the opportunities that we had there, both you know in the weight room and on the field. We developed ourselves into the best baseball players we could our freshman year. And that development never stopped. And going into summer ball freshman year, we were still working on things. Coming back into my sophomore year, I guess that thirst to want more out of myself kind of really came on. And the coaching staff at Buffalo... Yeah, they were they were just great. And my hitting coach and I really hit it off. Jim Kerner is his name. He's now the head coach at North Carolina Central University and has done a great job with that program. But he kind of took me to the next level offensively. We would spend two, three hours just talking about hitting in his office and, and going over video and trying to find something that would help click to take me to that next level where I could take my physical tools and actually make them into skill on the field. I remember very distinctly going into my sophomore season, uh, a day in the cage where Coach Kerner would told me, he's like, I literally have nothing to say to you right now. And he is of the same, very same mindset as me. He's very perfectionist, is looking for every detail. And that day, everything just kind of came together. And it, I realized, you know, kind of looking back, that it was, it was about a year and a half of continuous development that it took for me to get to that day. You know, it wasn't just, oh, something clicked. It was all those reps added up together that really took me to that level. And I was able to retain that feeling 
and go out and have a great sophomore season. Yeah. And going into college summer ball that year, I was able to play in the Northeast League. I had some offers at the end of my sophomore year to actually go and play in the Cape, but the team that I had signed with wasn't willing to release me at the time. So I was able to go play in the NHL and really kind of the breaking point where I realized that this is it. I have a chance was against an exhibition game against uh, Team USA, uh, where we were kind of like the NECB all-star team, and we are going to go to Fenway and play uh, Team USA in an exhibition game. Well, I ended up hitting a, a home run off Kevin Gossman, who was on the team at that time. And after the game, I had heard from some scouts, who is this kid? You know, who is this guy that showed you know, some good pop, looked like a good catcher behind play, good arm stuff. And... What's funny is that I was just coming off a season in which I won player of the year in my conference and still the scouts didn't really know who I was until that moment, that opportunity. Yeah. So that opportunity, that swing kind of changed my career, changed my perspective on things and who I could be as a baseball player. And I just kind of took off from there. Yeah. It's like, it's that one swing that made all the difference, but it wasn't just the one swing. It was everything that led up to that one swing is what it was. You know, people talk about, oh, he's an overnight success. Yeah, he's overnight success many years in the making. We take that probably back to Little League, right? And playing other sports or playing in the backyard. It finally did happen for you, but so much work led up to that. So then you get to that point and now all of a sudden you start hearing it and there's a lot of pressure, right? And you're dealing with a lot of things. So you're next at bad. You have to almost validate it, right? You have to continue to showcase what you're all about and still be a good teammate and do all those different things. It sounds like to me, no different than when you show up to the Mariners organization, you just get back to work. So you're not really getting caught up. Am I right? In those things that you hear it, be like, oh, wow, I'm going to be a baseball player. You call your mom and dad, you're all excited. And then all of a sudden, then you don't hit a ball for the next couple of weeks. Like, is that right? Is that how you went about it? Yeah, exactly. After that moment happened, I got a call a couple of days later from Team USA and they asked me to come play for them in the Japan series, which we were home for. So I obviously took that opportunity right away. And you know, like you're talking about, it's the same type of mentality. I went there with an open mind and willingness to do everything I could to take advantage of the opportunity. And that's how I kind of have always viewed things. And I know it's the hard work and repetition that kind of takes me to the next level. And being very grounded, it sounds like too, right? I mean, it's just throughout it all, it's a roller coaster ride, like a lot of different things are, but you're never getting too high, you're never getting too low, and you can kind of stay in there and you can hear it just even the way you talk and express yourself and tell these stories that it's not too high, it's not too low, and you can stay where you need to stay to be successful for whatever it is that you're working on that day. So that happened. So the Pan American Games happened. The series had the Pan American series, right? Is that what it was? Or was that just the Japan series at this point? This is just the Japan series at this point. Yeah. Okay. So then after that, when is the draft compared to that? So that was the end of my sophomore summer. So the draft was at the end of my junior spring. At the end of June. Okay. So you go back. So then you're back at UB, right? You have your third season there with UB your junior year. And then the draft happens that spring. And what was that like? Did you have an inkling as to like what was going to happen that you would go in the third round or you just didn't know how was dealing with that? Yeah. So that was kind of like the first time in my life where I had some expectations that were higher than what I was used to. I'll put it that way. And my junior year was kind of a, I wouldn't say a struggle, but it was a lot of opportunities for me to grow mentally. I started having scouts at every game, something I wasn't used to. You know, at Buffalo, we got like, probably 10 fans at every game. So it's a little different atmosphere once you're kind of going in out there and realizing there's a bunch of people there to watch you. And kind of the first time in my life was 
was that, you know, other than that, the college, high school kind of relationship and, and having scouts come see you, schools come see you. But I put a lot of pressure on myself that year to perform up to a standard where I thought I was capable of. I didn't have as good as a good of a year as I, I thought I should have had, uh, especially coming off the year I had my sophomore year. But that fall going into my junior that junior year fall was when teams really started kind of letting me know what they thought of me and where they could see me going. And yeah, I went right in those kind of projections in the third round there. Like I said, I could have performed better and actually went higher than I did. But like I said, that was a great opportunity for me to grow mentally and prepare myself for the next level for sure. Well, I think it's cool that you right, right, you have your player of the year year and all the things happen in that offseason. You come back and you don't have is the year that you want to have, but then you see it as a positive. So it sounds like almost that year got you ready for the next level to deal with the ups and downs that you knew were going to come across. Frustrated in the moment, no doubt, but you find the positive in that. And I think that's important to see that like the book that Ryan Holiday wrote, The Obstacle is the Way, like you ran into these troubles, like you can let that define you and go sideways and go backwards and like all for naught and said you saw the positive in that. Going back a little bit because it's big, I'm sure you hear about it a lot, youth sports today and playing baseball. If I were to guess, if I were to understand it correctly, I doubt you had a ton of pressure on you from your family to become this professional baseball player because the odds are so against you to ever even play major league baseball, to even play professional baseball. There's a lot of pressure today on kids to continue to play, to practice, to overtrain, to just become, to become that next player. Did you have that pressure growing up? Yeah. So I, I often tell people that the greatest asset in my whole career was the fact that my parents never played collegiate athletics or professional athletics or, you know, they played a little bit when they were younger, but it was never their goal, their dream. I view that as the, the absolute biggest positive, you know, positive impact in my childhood because it allowed me to just kind of develop without any pressure athletically and just be as free as I could be. We played in a local little league team that you know, I think most people would absolutely laugh at if they saw the conditions that we played in, but we didn't know any different. We're a small hometown. We were super competitive because we were all friends and we knew each other and we wanted to beat each other. And our friendship was was huge. And, and I enjoyed that league more than I could ever imagine playing on a travel ball team like it seems like a lot of younger kids are doing nowadays. And my first travel ball experience wasn't until I was 17 years old. So I was allowed to, as a child, go out and play as free as I could without any mechanical thoughts without any thoughts of college without, without any thoughts of you know you need to perform without any pressure and like i said that freedom and that ability to just enjoy myself really fueled my passion for the game you know it was never forced upon me i didn't have to go to these tournaments that wasn't available you know so really it was just the only thing my parents ever instilled in me and wanted to see for me on the field was effort so when you kind of look at that from that perspective I really can't imagine playing baseball as a youth nowadays and having to travel the world just to play kids that are maybe 10 miles down the road from you. You know what I mean? Like It just doesn't make any sense to me because I grew up in such an opposite atmosphere. And I realized that that atmosphere allowed me to be who I am and make my career what it is. Just basically off the fact that all my parents wanted to see out of me was effort and the passion was able to grow on my own and wasn't ever forced upon me. That would serve you no matter what. If you never played baseball again, it would serve you in anything that you do. And it will continue to serve you now that you have played baseball. But it's crazy. You say that 
you were 17 when you played your first travel ball. You're 28 now. It's 11 years. Again, 11 years is a long time and it's, you've totally different things going on in your world now. But 11 years is like when you truly started going out into that travel world of baseball and 11 years later, here you are, you're playing for the Seattle Mariners. You played for the Colorado Rockies. You know, it's kind of nuts because the pressure, the travel that is on these kids today is crazy. The politics that are in the game today. It's amazing. I mean, I, my son does not play baseball. He played a lot of Little League growing up and he had a blast doing it. But I saw kids crying on the field. I've coached it. I'm not a baseball expert, but I did my best and coached and helped out. So much of it was based around winning and losing for U8 baseball. I'm like, wait a second. These kids care more about the snack. They care more just be like you said, singing songs on the bench and trying to hit a ball that's being thrown at them from this machine. They're like, how am I supposed to hit this thing? And it was amazing to watch like a kid who missed the ball cry because he saw his father or parents or somebody looking at him from the sidelines like, shouldn't do that. And then you just, what was it for? What does it become? And it's not just baseball. You know, this is happening all over the place in sports. I don't know where you see, you hear about it, I'm sure a lot, just because you're a part of the baseball community. And what do you think happens from here? Because I don't, I think it's getting worse. I mean, I see it. My son plays soccer goalie now. There's an incredible amount of pressure for a soccer goalie, but I always check in with him. Are you having fun? Are you enjoying it? Because if you're not, you can do anything you want. Go play. Yes, just yesterday, we were playing baseball in the backyard. We had a blast, you know, call it one out baseball. And it's like me, my son and my two daughters. And we're just, we're having so much fun doing it. And there's arguments because it's competitive and all that kind of stuff, but it's all for fun. And sometimes I think like sports gets away from that fun of it. And yeah, it's going to become a business when you play for the Seattle Mariners and you get traded or you play for the Rockies and get traded, you know, whatever that is. But where do we go from here? Where do we go with you sports? Because, you know, people like yourself have these stories to share. And that's why I hope people can hear this podcast and they have kids to think through it all. Yeah, it's interesting because to me, the answer does not lie in the children. That is the opposite of the answer. That I think kids have an innate ability to just go out and play and have fun when they're left alone. We have to look at the parents. We have to look at their egos. We have to look at what they're in it for and really dissect why parents feel a need to put that type of pressure on their children at that age when they know that the pressure of life will eventually become so great. And, you know, like I said, the expectations will become higher as the time grows. But really, I just... I would implore parents to allow their children to play whatever they wish to play. You know, like if they wish to do gymnastics or soccer or even art or music, just be supportive. And that support and the dedication that you show to your children goes so much further than pressuring them to do something that you wish you could do or you wish that you had done when you were younger. These opportunities that you missed in your life and stuff. And really, it's just about the ego of the parents and allowing that to subside. And realizing that the bigger picture is so much greater than a local little ball or a little league team winning a trophy or something like that. It's just, it's really troublesome to me because sometimes it seems very obvious what the answer is. But at the same time, you realize that the opinion of the masses is kind of so skewed in the opposite direction. There's actually pressure on the parents to feel like they are doing everything that they can for their children. I think a lot of that stems from that as well. And the fact that they maybe feel like they need to give their children the best opportunity and that consumes them and at a time in their children's life where all they need is, is support and love and direction as opposed to any pressure. That's it. Yeah. And like you said, having them try hard. So whatever you're going to do, if it's going to be music or and you're going to spend time doing it, work hard. And if it doesn't work out, that's okay. And it's one thing for me to sit there and pontificate about youth sports and all because I've seen it. I've said I have kids and, you know, and I think I have a vantage point 
But then to hear it from you, Tom, and your experiences of playing Little League and then playing travel ball and then college and then professional and Major League Baseball, it's like, it's a different angle. And I don't talk to a lot of professional athletes or athletes that tried to play professionally or don't, you know, don't have regrets in regards to it all. But there's a very similar tone. And like you just said, it seems so easy, right? It seems so easy, but yet it's so hard. And we're going in a direction that I think it's like we're getting so far to one side of it. I don't know how we ever come back to it because the pressure is incredible. And baseball players or professional athletes are put on these pedestals and they show up and kids can show up to the game. So I can watch, I could go to the game yesterday, right? And I see you hit a home run and you're a catcher. I'm like, that's what I want to do. And I want to show up and I'm going to go do that. And it's like, well, Tom had to do all of these things to get to that point. It didn't just happen overnight like we talked about before. And I think a lot of times is we don't get to see What's going on behind the scenes of it? Yeah, you can get glimpses into it. And I think it does exist in social media. But social media also goes the other direction to showcase, you know, how great this is. And little Tom won state championships and, you know, or he won this or he hit a home run during Little League and people feel bad. And, you know, I think there's just so many different ways to look at it. But there's so much that goes into how you got to where you are today. It's like we talked about that overnight success story. Yeah, 10 years in the making kind of thing takes a lot of effort, takes a lot of time. And I don't know what direction we go with it because people do have interests. They have unique interests and it doesn't have to even be sports. And from what I gather, you have other interests as well coming from upstate New York, from Syracuse. I understand that you are a big hunter and fisher. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. That's my other passions in life for sure. Do you get time to do? I know season doesn't allow you much time off, I would imagine. You need a nice off season perhaps, but do you still have a chance to do that in the different locations that you've been? Yeah, so my off-season is pretty much all about training and hunting and family. Luckily, the season kind of aligns with the start of white-tailed deer season and black bear season where I live. So basically, I go right from baseball season to hunting season and really enjoy my time outdoors. And It's a big family affair for me and my wife and my dad and my grandparents and uncles. And, you know, they just, that's what it becomes for me. And it's really one of the times of my life and seasons that I just truly enjoy the most for sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's what it is, right? You got to get yourself off of, you know, a lot of people watch sports or whatever they might partake in and they become fans of a team. And a lot of that takes them away from what they do on a daily basis in the office and all those things. So they go to the game, they're Mariners fans, and they go to the ballpark and get to enjoy a game with their family and friends. And it's important. That's why we think sports are so important. There's so many different reasons as to why sports can be important. And that's one of them, right? It's sports matter in a way because they don't matter. There's so many things going on in the world today and been going on forever, but there's ways to take yourself out of that and go find another passion. And that could be like making music, drawing a picture, playing soccer, going out in the backyard and gardening or going hunting. You know, there's all these different things. So I think that also probably helps keep you grounded as well, keeps your mindset fresh. So you're not just like overly consumed with baseball because that, you know, you could probably squeeze that rose a little bit too tight. And next thing you know, you can't hit the ball <laughs> and you don't want that. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I think you take a look at the same reason why I enjoy baseball so much is, you know, the same as why I enjoyed the outdoors so much. It was introduced to me at a young age. Uh, it was never pressured upon me. And, you know, my parents really allowed me to develop my own passion and just kind of steered me in the right directions when I needed it. And at, at the end of the day, I was allowed that freedom to kind of do that and experience that part of the world too. Absolutely. So, baseball where it's at today i mean obviously it's considered america's pastime so much has changed football has become incredibly popular baseball major league baseball has done very well revenue wise making a lot of money but things have changed right the branding aspects of baseball is not where some other sports are internationally soccer is just enormous and, and there's a long history there with that 
Uh, that's why baseball did so well for so long. But the sports change, it can move slower for a lot of people. And like kids today might not sit around and watch a four hour baseball game. You know, stadiums, I think going to a ballpark is one of the greatest things because you can go to the park, sit with your dad, your kid, a friend or whoever, and have a conversation. It doesn't have to be every second of the game where you're just sitting there focused on what's going on. You have a hot dog, have a beer, all the different things. Where do you see baseball today? As far as much as you can talk about it, you know, where do you see baseball today? Where do you see it going? Major League Baseball, that is. Do you see it in a good place? Do you have some concerns for the sport? Where are you with that? I see, obviously, both sides on and off the field of baseball. I see before, like, on the field or off the field, preparing for games being being much more rigorous than it probably has in the past. Uh, this is the part that people don't see from, the, you know, watching a game or seeing a game on TV or anything like that. Is the amount of preparation that it takes to play in today's game to get right and prepare for your opponent is to the point where it's like, it's hard for me to envision even going beyond where we're at right now and how much information we get both offensively and defensively on what we're going to do against the opposing team. So I think if fans were able to see that part of the game and see the type of stuff that and material that we get, they would kind of understand why the game is the way it is in today's sense. And I really don't have an opinion either way about whether it's good or bad. It is what it is right now. And I just know that the players in today's game are better than they ever have been. So really when you go to watch a game, I think you need to keep that into perspective and realize that the product that's out on the field right now is as good as it's ever been. And to really appreciate that, no matter what length or time or how many instant replays are going on during the game, at the end of the day, the best players in the world are on the field and they're better than they ever have been. That should be appreciated. I think it is on, on the whole, you know, because you know people are doing things that they, they really have never done, you know, both strategically and physically. And so... I think that appreciation needs to be there. And I certainly appreciate that mind. No, that makes a lot of sense because the talent, and I see this in a lot of sports, you know, with Tiger Woods, for example, coming back and winning the Masters. And a lot of people were talking about it before. It's the sport's different. He took the sport to a different level. And this isn't about Tiger Woods necessarily, but he took it to another level. So now he comes back and the players are just that much better today than they were 15 years ago. And it's going to be harder for him to win. That's why it was such an incredible feat, not only because of his age and his comeback and his injuries and all that, to come back though, because the level of competition is at a different level, like you said. And so you take it to basketball, you take it to football, you take it to baseball. And maybe sometimes the level of talent is so good that you just can't, like as the average fan watching it, might not be able to get that appreciation, but it should be there. Because I agree with you. I mean, it's just... You don't understand what it's like, probably. You just look so easy when a catcher just stands up and throws the ball to second base, like just right on a dime. And it's because you're so good at it. Or for them to beat your throw out to second base would be just almost incredible. And when you really get down to the pure aspect of it, that's why baseball is a very purest sport. Like my dad growing up, he was a huge Indians fan and his grandparents, and I tell stories about my grandfather and grandmother, diehard Indians fan. My grandmother knew every Cleveland Indians baseball player, knew all the nuances of what was going on in the game. It's a very purest sport in that. And I think it's been lost a little bit. I would like to see Major League Baseball get more into it kind of, and you can't just tell someone that because they have to appreciate it themselves, but to give them the opportunity to showcase like, PGA actually had that thing back in the day. Like these guys are good. And that's kind of what's going on here. Like you might strike out. That doesn't mean you're bad. It's just, that's baseball. These guys are good. Like you guys are really good at what you do. 
we had uh, Marcus Pfizer, a former basketball player, played for the Chicago Bulls, played at Iowa State, had some injuries, whatever. But he said he showed up to a Chicago White Sox spring training event or something that they were doing, went to their ballpark and he did some batting practice. And this guy's, you know, he was in the prime shape of his career. And he said they dialed that thing to 60 miles an hour. And he said his whole body hurt the next day. His, cause it's, you know, the <laughs> torque. And he's like, and here he is, this incredible athlete. And he couldn't even swing without hurting himself. It's just a showcase to say like, man, you guys are really good at what you do. And I think you're right. It's just that people need to hear more about that. And some, I don't know how that's done or how that's branded, but I think that needs to get out there more. Cause like you're saying, it's, it's incredible what you guys are able to do and what you put your bodies through and your minds, like you said, cause of the analytics aspects of it too. Now it's, there's so much going on that you have to deal with that. There's probably maybe like the one hour, a little time with your kids here and there, and you're probably eating and getting to the ballpark pretty soon. Yeah. And you can kind of liken it to almost like architecture, you know, people see great architecture and they're made by the end product and they don't realize how much goes into that product beforehand. I look at it the same way in is baseball is that the product that's on the field right now is truly amazing. I mean, the, the ability and the, the physical talent, the mentality of players today, it's beyond comprehension for probably most people. But at the same time, I think if most people took a step back and realized how much has gone into that, not only day to day, but people's lives and careers where they came from and stuff like that. It's remarkable. You know, everybody has a story and it's been no easy pass for anyone in this game. It's truly remarkable. People kinda kinda go through it to this day, day to day grind that we have and realizing that it's not ever over. You know, that it's continuous work and continuous improvement. And uh we actually have a great sign as a Mariners organization that's in our clubhouse that refers to the Japanese term Kaizen which is continuous daily improvement. And that's a truly what happens at our level. And, you know, these guys are not done improving or trying to improve and, and be better baseball players every day. No, that's awesome. It's like you're saying, it's stories like yours, stories like this that can get put out there. And I think that that might hit somebody and say, I want to watch the Mariners play. I want to watch Tom play. And then you come across a different story and then you hear other stories. Because so much of it, I get it. You know, the ESPNs of the world, are they want the Mike Trout stories. They want Bryce Harper stories. They want the big names and the big... And I get it, right? That's what sells. And they want clicks and they want viewers. And that's fine. But I think there's so many athletes out there, like you were saying before, they're so good at what they've done and they've come a long way and they have these incredible stories that I think need to be told. And that's why we want to talk to you. And that's why we wanted to talk to you and have this conversation because it's fascinating. And I'm fascinated by it. And we deal with people on a daily basis that are fascinated by it. And how can it end up in their feed or in their email or in their conversation to where now they can learn about that? And maybe they can apply some of the stuff that you're talking about to what they do, or just maybe makes them tune in to really appreciate something that's not about them. You know, it's about something else. And I think that's fascinating. And I think your story's an incredible story. It's a success story and it's a lot of fun to pay attention to. I'm glad I was able to, you know, like I said, I was watching some games. It was late in the evening. I think I was just kind of like closing down our house. The kids, my wife had just gone to bed and I was just finishing up some stuff and turn on the game. And there you were, you're up to bat and talks about University of Buffalo and, you know, reach out on Instagram and just say, hey man, we'd love to catch up someday. You know, and we had some back and forth and, you know, a little bit later, a couple of weeks later, we're on a podcast together telling this amazing story. And I think it's awesome. I'm curious, as we talk about athletes a lot, the life of a professional athlete, it can be limited, right? And you try not to think about it probably, but I think you seem to be a realist and understand that 
you can't play baseball forever. Maybe you can be a part of the game forever, you know, but you have other interests. Do you think, do your teammates think or teammates that you've had in the past, do you think about life after baseball? Yeah. So it's kind of funny how the mind works sometimes. And, and, you know, sort of the down periods in your career, the off season, or when things aren't going so well in baseball, your mind kind of seems to think about the future and where it's heading. So in times of turmoil, I'd say that happens more than it does when things are going well, because when things are going well, obviously all I want to do is play baseball the rest of your life. Enjoy that experience and that, and that emotional high. But yeah, I think anybody, you take a look at even the most successful people in our sport. You know, they have endeavors that they're pursuing themselves, you know, outside and off the baseball field. And I think it's great. I love learning about them because it really speaks to the people and who they are, their interests and lives. And adds that human element to people that we see as baseball players, in my opinion. Gives you much more perspective when you actually do play with them or play against them or, or see them on TV and you realize who that person is deep down at their core. And the fact that they are a human as well, just taking advantage of the physical opportunities that they've been given. And like I said, I think it's great how people do pursue things off the field, whether it's community service or other interests and you know, hobbies and that sort of thing, and take them to the next level and have passion in that as well. Yeah, it's happening more and more too. I think it's becoming okay because you can only train so much, you can only play so much. And there's, like you said, there's a lot of downtime. Maybe not, but you can find it, right? I think anybody can find some downtime if they really think about it. And Basketball is a sport that I see that a lot with, you know, like the LeBron James of the world. And again, it's an extreme and he's a superstar and he can get to anybody he wants and get a part of any movie that he probably wants to. They can make one phone call, but it also, you can do it at different scales. You can do it at different levels to where you're almost building your after career while you're still playing, while you're doing these things. And I think there's opportunities now and it's accepted now to do that. It's understood because others are doing it as well. And It's important because you have an incredible reach being a professional athlete, having fans, having these organizations where if someone's a Mariners fan, they're going to follow you. They're going to pay attention to you. Someone's even a Rockies fan, they're going to pay attention to you. You have an ability to reach them that others would not have. And I think there's a lot of things you can do with that from a positive standpoint when just giving back and just spending an hour with us and talking on a podcast. I mean, it can go a long way. You never know. And I think that's what you've probably practiced a lot is just continue to work hard, continue to play hard, continue to do the right things and show up. And who knows what will take place from there. But if you do all those things, then I've been told if you do the right thing, you can't be wrong. I mean, you continue to epitomize that and uh, really appreciate you spending the time sharing your story, sharing your thoughts and your days back in upstate New York and University of Buffalo and the different major league baseball teams, the Rockies, and now here you are with the Mariners. So encourage anyone that's listening to this to definitely check you out. Uh, I think you have a day off this. We're recording this on a Monday. You have a day off today, but you'll be back at it. There's not many days off in Major League Baseball. (laughs) No, it's not, but you appreciate everyone. That's for sure. Yeah. Tom, thank you so much for spending some time with us. It's been awesome. I truly appreciate the opportunity, obviously, as well. And thanks for all the great questions. And Anything you ever need, please let me know. One of my favorite things about our Sportsypreneur content platform is the opportunity to chat with amazing people in and around the world of sports. We hope you enjoyed the conversation. If you want to connect more, hit us up on Instagram at Sportsypreneur. Thank you for listening to this CadSource production, the Sportsypreneur podcast, the podcast where sports and entrepreneurship collide. CadCM is our content production company. Why content? It's simple. Content brings people together. I've seen it play out over and over. 
and I want to help others explore and discover this for themselves. The experience is totally worth it. Learn more at kazcm.com. We focus on podcasts and writing, one piece of content at a time. It all starts with conversations just like this one.